this this uh, this morning um, we're going to be doing the Lord's Supper, and um, as I was sort of praying about what to talk about, um, I, I had something that, that kept coming to mind. Um, years and years ago, when I was uh, at the children's home, and I, I swear I talk about the children's home as much as I talk about anything else. Um, I I used to do these these groups um, where I would teach Bible to the the, the clients, and. Um, you know, inevitably, if you did this long enough, you would meet kids who would say, well, um, I, I will not believe there is a God. You know, you say, well, why? Well, there's no proof, and this and that. And I'd have all these long discussions, and, and there are a couple of kids, you know, I, I'd, I'd argue with and argue with and argue with, and we'd, we'd debate and discuss and everything else, and, and there are, I can think of two or three in my nine years there where it came down to, you know, I will believe in God if, I get a sign, and I, well, what kind of sign do you want, you know, and, and it was always something insane, you know, I want to see the books in the room stand up and fly around, well, okay, you know, <laughs> so, nothing, huh, you know, it, 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 and it was, it was always kind of interesting to me, and actually, it's not a new phenomenon, right, like, if you look at, um, if you look at Jesus, when Jesus was out teaching, I'm not comparing myself to Jesus, please don't hear me doing that, um, unless I'm saying, well, he's the opposite of who I am, because I don't <laughs> Thank you. My wife's not here to say amen, so it's... <laughs> um, when Jesus was teaching, or when he would, would go out and, and deal with folks, people would frequently demand signs, you know, and, and, and one of my favorite, you know, he's, he's out there, and he's, he's uh, just fed 5,000 people, right? Like, there are 5,000 people, he's got, you know, a couple of loaves of bread and a fish, and he, he feeds 5,000 people with it, which is impressive. Um, and And you know, the people start demanding stuff from them, and they, they say, well, give us a sign to prove that you are God. And it's like, well, wait a minute, I just fed 5,000 people. Did you see that? Did you miss it? You know, what, what gives here? And, and it wasn't enough for them. And Jesus said, well, look, the only sign I'm going to give you people is the sign of Jonah, right? And he's referring to his, his death and his resurrection. Um, you know, people demand things of God as though, honestly, as though they're in a place to demand things of God. And, and they look for something. And even folks of faith, I've talked to a lot of folks who have really significant deep faith, and, and sometimes they struggle. So, why can't God give me something? Why can't God stick his head out of the cloud and just say hi for me once? Why can't he, you know, and, and um, what we're going to be looking at today is actually Hebrews 10. This is a challenging book, okay? So, so you know, you got to stick with me. And, and we're jumping in kind of late in the book instead of starting out at the beginning. I'd eventually like to do the whole book, but um, it's it's a tough one, right? Like it's it's a really tough one, and so I'm, I I want to do the whole book, but there's a part of me that says, man, that's a that's a really rough set of sermons. Um, well, we're gonna start out um, real quick. Hebrews, um, Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that we're not exactly sure who wrote it, um, which is really unusual for the New Testament because. Um, when they sat down and decided this book's in, this book's in, one of the three big big requirements was that it had to be written by somebody who personally knew Jesus, right? An apostle. Um, and if it wasn't written by somebody who personally knew Jesus, it wasn't considered acceptable for the Bible. Well, Hebrews, we know it comes from the right period, and the early church fathers, the, like the early Christians who were the first generation after the guys who knew Jesus personally, they said, well, Paul wrote it. Um, but we're not sure. Okay, so like Hebrews is an odd duck. Um, when you sit down and read it, if you read it and study it, um, 
the most powerful element of the book itself is, is what it says. It's, it's so right on and it's so true about Jesus that, that that was the thing that carried it over. Does that make sense? You know, they're sitting around and they're like, well, we're not sure who wrote it, but everybody uses it and it's just true. And so it, it was considered to be a part of scripture like that, right? Just because it's so true. Um, starting in chapter 10, um, we, we, well, all right, let me finish talking about the book here. The, there are all sorts of things that are covered. Um, a big chunk of the book talks about Christ's identity. Who is he? And you get a lot of stuff out of this book, like the idea that Jesus was before time, right? Like Jesus wasn't created. It's not like the day he was born was the day he came into existence. It's not like you and me, right? Like, I'm born. Before the day I was born, I didn't exist. Um, you know, little Titus, we had Titus, what, three weeks ago or something. You know, as much as we, a month, has it been a month? Um, <laughs> I'm glad Jess isn't here to hear it. She, she might listen to it, so that's a bad thing. Um, <laughs> but, but before Titus was born, he didn't exist. Whereas Jesus, from the beginning of time, Jesus always was, Right? Um, and Jesus is greater than the angels. There are all these topics that are touched on. And, and one of the big things that it works through is how the death of Jesus fits in with the rest of the Bible. All right? And, and in the previous chapters, um, he, he sort of works through, the author works through this idea that, that there was this thing called the tabernacle, right? It's a big word. It means temple and a tent, basically. Um, I know it's complicated, but when, when the Jews were in the desert, uh, before they got to the promised land, Moses was leading them around, they had the tabernacle, and that's where they worshipped, and they did their sacrifices, and eventually the tabernacle became the temple, right, and, and so, like, they talk about how the tabernacle was a symbol for something that was happening in heaven already, and something that would eventually happen with Jesus, and everything was pointing forward to that, um, and actually, when you read the Old Testament, like, in light of Hebrew, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews the language, Hebrews is a book. Uh, <laughs> in light of the book of Hebrews, what you find is everything is this big blinking neon light that's pointing to Jesus. Like it's all about Jesus. And so when people say, well, what's up with these food laws? The food laws, like the Jews, if, if anybody knows somebody who's Jewish, they don't eat pork, right? And they don't eat lobster, which is awesome. I had lobster recently, it was wonderful. Um, and and um, there were reasons they didn't do that. And, and if you sit down and look at it in the cultural and historic context and in light of the New Testament, it was just something that was talking about Jesus before he was born. Whole Bible. It's pretty neat, actually. Um, so in chapter 10, we start dealing, like he's dealing with this idea of the law and the sacrifices. Now in the Old Testament, if you, know, if you committed a sin, like say I were to go over and you know, push my mark down, right? You know, I push him down and I'm a big jerk. And, and he cries a little bit. And, and <laughs> um, If I were to go over there and do that, it would probably be a sin, right? And so everybody's thinking about it, don't do it. Um, <laughs> it would be a sin. And so like anytime I sin, I would have to go and I would have to make a blood offering. Because any, if there's a rule, right? Like there's a rule at my house um, with Abby. Abby is not allowed to throw rocks. It's a good rule, right? Now, Jess, my wife, gets after me because when Abby and I go places, like to the park, Abby likes to throw rocks. And I like to let Abby do whatever she wants. And, and so Abby throws rocks, and when my wife catches me letting her throw rocks without punishing her, 
I get in trouble, right? Because the rule doesn't mean anything if you can break it at will. Does that make sense? And so, in the Old Testament, if you broke a rule, someone had to get punished. And the problem is that, like, we can't bear the punishment for our sins, right? Like, I, I can't bear the punishment because the punishment that I deserve is, is much bigger than I can deal with. Um, this separation from God, and that's not what God wants. Um, and so what they would do is, if I pushed Mark down, I would go to the temple and say, all right, I did something really bad, and I have to sacrifice this animal, and the animal would take my punishment, right? And, and so this is the context. That's what the, the, um, the, the Old Testament, you know, and this is what he's talking about. This is all pointing forward to this chapter 10. Um, and in particular, um, once a year, the Jewish people would do a sacrifice called Passover, right? And we'll get to Passover a little more in detail at the end. But Passover, you would sacrifice a lamb once a year. And that lamb, it, it was considered to be a sacrifice for the whole country, right? And so it would be like if in Washington we had a temple. We don't, um, sort of. Anyway, but, but if, we, if we did, they would take a lamb out every Easter, and they would take it, and they would kill it, and it would be to cover the sins of the whole country, right? Um, so we get to chapter 10. This is all important. We'll come back around. It's a big picture thing, okay? Um, we get to chapter 10, and he starts out, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of the things, can never, by the sacrifices which they offer, continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. That is, see why I have so much background? Because <laughs> that is a five-plus sentence, and it's not an easy one, right? Um, it, it's almost a run-on. Um, so he says, for the law, meaning the old system, the Ten Commandments, the don't eat this, don't eat that, sacrifice these animals, if you are unclean for whatever reason, you have to do this to wash up so you can be clean before God again. Like, the, the law, the old system, it wasn't, it wasn't Jesus, right? It wasn't God's ultimate plan. And so because it was imperfect, because it was just a foreshadowing, because it points forward, right, um, because it's not what was meant to be, it can't fix what's wrong, right? And so, like, year after year, they would offer sacrifices. Year after year. So every year, they'd say, all right, the people have sinned, let's go ahead and kill a lamb, right? Or, you know, I push Mark down again, I have to go and sacrifice a lamb, you know, and, and because, of, like, that sacrifice is imperfect, I have to do it over and over again. Because if it was going to fix it, it would fix it, right? Anybody ever have a car that would break down the same way over and over again? And after a little while, you're like, what gives? I thought I'd fix that. You know, I, I fixed that yesterday, you know, and, and, and it's just the same thing. It's just like that, where, like, spiritually, we all have this broken thing in us, right? And in the Old Testament, they were given a way to deal with it. And over and over and over again, they would have to do these offerings and these sacrifices. Why? Because the same thing was still broken, right? And they couldn't fix it just by doing the sacrifice. Why? Because the sacrifice is just a sign pointing forward. Anybody ever, oh, well, no, I'm not going to use that as an example. Um, sorry, I, there was a self-censor moment. It does happen occasionally. Um, all right, so because they were only a shadow and not the thing that was coming, meaning Jesus, they can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. So the sacrifices, the old system can't make us perfect. It can't make us stop sinning. 
and it can't make us spiritually like fixed, right? If, if I'm hard-hearted and wicked, me killing an animal isn't going to change that, right? Um, you know, it, it, it's just not. Because it's a physical act that I'm trying to affect a spiritual reality, and they're separate. By physical actions, we can't do anything spiritual. Spiritual starts in the heart. And, you know, physical actions don't change the heart. The heart changes our actions. And so, like, this imperfect thing can never, ever fix the problem. Otherwise, they would, they would have, or excuse me, otherwise, would they not have ceased to offer, or to be offered? Because the worshippers having, but in those sacrifices, oh, let me stop before I get too far ahead. All right, he's saying, look, they would have stopped offering if they could fix it, Right? Why would they offer sacrifices over and over again if they could offer the sacrifice once and it would fix the problem? Well, it couldn't, so they had to do it over and over and over and over again, and year after year, literally for like a thousand years they did this, and it never fixed the problem, and so they just had to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Um, otherwise, they would have stopped. Um, but um, in those sacrifices, there was a reminder of sin year after year. Okay, we're going to stop again. Um, so what purpose does it serve then? Well, first off, it brings forward to Jesus. And secondly, it brings to mind our sins. Um, anybody ever get stuck in something where you start doing it, and then in the beginning you know it's a sin, and then after like, I don't know, a year, you don't really care anymore? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it, it happens, right? Um, I, I, knew, um, I knew guys at the children's home, you'd say, well, uh, the first time you stole something, did you feel guilty? Yeah, I felt awful. I didn't sleep for days, and I, you know, I cried afterward, and all this other stuff. And, and well, what about the hundredth time? Nope, thought it was fine. <laughs> because after a little while, our hearts get hardened. Well, in this setting, you would offer a sacrifice to remind you, right? The the writer's telling us part of the purpose of the sacrifice is a reminder. We offer it so we remember, I'm this bad. I've offended God this much that I deserve to be killed. I deserve as much punishment as you can keep on me. But God is merciful, and all I have to do is offer the sacrifice and be repentant. And so the sacrifices they do year after year after year, what does it do? It serves as a reminder. So it points forward to Jesus, and it reminds us that we sin. Anybody ever need a reminder of that? <laughs> Anybody need to remind the people around them occasionally? Hey, you're not... Wives, keep your hands down. Um, <laughs> Um, and my wife isn't here, so I can't even... Anyway, um, for the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. And so he finally puts it out there. He says, look, people, the blood of animals doesn't fix anything. Period. Um, the old system was never going to work. And it was never meant to work. 10.5, um, he starts quoting um, Psalm 40, um, and, and I'm going to work through this really quickly, because what he's doing here is he's pointing back to the Old Testament to prove what he's about to say. Everybody with me? Um, this is evidence of what he's about to say. Um, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Meaning, um, the, the psalmist is writing, this is David, King David, and King David says, Look, you're not happy with the sacrifices. They're not good enough. You know, this isn't ever what you really wanted. 
but you prepared something better, right? You prepared a body for me, you prepared something better. And he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus about 800 years before he was born. Um, then I said, Behold, I have come um, in, the book, in the scroll of the book, it was written of me, to do your will, O God. After saying above, the sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor to be taken pleasure in them, which is offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Meaning, God has come along and he takes away the old system, right? The law, the rules about what you're supposed to eat, the rules about sacrificing to be forgiven. He takes that away. Because he has this in store, right? It's like um, coming up to a... Uh, you ever go up to a place um, where they have neon signs? I think actually Dale's daughter's from Vegas, and they have neon there or something, right? <laughs> it's actually the national plant there. Um, they're the same plant as neon signs, um, let alone fact. Um, but, but they have these neon signs. If you go up to the neon sign, it says Coca-Cola, Right? They don't usually say Coca-Cola. I think there are other beverages I've heard of. Um, not my pure self. Uh, <laughs> Coca-Cola, if I see that sign, and I'm hot, because have you been to Vegas? It's like 140 degrees every day. It's, it's the desert. No one in their right mind would live there. <laughs> I, I don't even know you when I'm picking on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm out there. It's hot. I'm in the desert. I'm in a place where like I shouldn't live, and... I see this sign that says Coca-Cola. Am I refreshed by this neon sign? No. Because the sign points me towards something better. And that's the actual Coca-Cola. Um, and so until I step in and I get the thing that's better, all I have is a sign. And it may blink and it may buzz and it may look really, really pretty. Um, but it doesn't fix anything. And this is the Old Testament, right? blinking, buzzing sign. It points forward. And that's what he's saying. The psalmist is saying this, right? This is King David is saying, you don't really want this sign. What you want is real refreshment, right? What you want is something that's going to fix what's making you thirsty and empty and dead. Um, by his will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Meaning, so God himself comes into the world, and Jesus, you know, God's son, this is God, right, um, takes punishment for our sins. He's arrested, he's tortured, he's never sinned, so he doesn't deserve it. And, and in his death, he's punished in our place, right? Every wicked thing we've ever done, Jesus absorbs it. And he's the final, perfect sacrifice. He's the sacrifice that counts, the perfect one. And so in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals over and over again, and this imperfect sacrifice couldn't fix anything. But Jesus comes along. And Jesus is this perfect, perfect thing that can fix us spiritually. Um, he's the ice-cold bottle of Coke that the sign is pointing to, right? Everybody with me still? That's kind of warm in here. Nobody's asleep yet? Give this somebody to sit next to you? Um... So we move on. This is 11 to 13. Um, every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So if you went to the temple, right? The temple isn't there now. It'd be tough to go. There's a mosque there. But if the temple were still there, there would be guys. And in the center of the temple, they would offer sacrifices all day. 
That is all they would do. That would be their career. And they would chop up animals and set them on fire, and they'd eat some of them because that was a part of doing sacrifices. It just is what it is. Um, and one of the rules was they could never sit down, right? Because when you sit down, you're taking a break. I mean, I don't know farmers sit down a lot, right? Or you guys on your feet all day. I mean, is this sort of related? Like, he says, listen, they can never, ever stop. Why? Because the offerings they're making, they don't make a difference. They don't take away sin, so they have to keep doing it. Part of that is because we sin all the time, right? It, it's, it's almost a hobby for me. I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm good at it, in fact. Maybe world class. Like, <laughs> because we all do it over and over again. And the priests can never stop in the old system. They can never stop. They can never rest. They've got to keep doing it. Um, and it was actually against the law for them to sit down, like it was considered an offense to God to stop. Um, but he had been offered one sacrifice for sins, of, for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies will be made as footstool. So, like, this is earlier in the chapter, or in the book, he talks about this idea that Jesus is seated at God's right hand. Well, if he's sitting down, what does that mean? It's because work's done, right? So Jesus offers himself, right, this perfect sacrifice, and then he has a seat. Why? Because he's done. Because there's no more work to do. Because he has no reason to continue standing. The, the, the text actually points to this, and the, the writer is bringing this out, right? Like, Jesus offers his own self once for all, period, done. Um, and everything before him, this work that was never done, was just telling us about it coming. And it says that he sits there until the, his enemies are made like a footstool for his feet. Meaning he's there until the end of the world, right? He, he gets to kick back and, you know, put his feet up except the ottoman hasn't showed up yet. And, and he gets to rest until the day comes. Um, the author kind of, this is 1418, this is the last of the text we're going to look at. And then we're going to kind of look at how this applies, all right? So there's a point to this, I'm getting there. Um, for by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Meaning that if you're in Jesus, right, you're forgiven. And not only are you forgiven, but being in Christ means you're forgiven for everything you have done, everything you are doing, and everything you will do. Right? It's not as though I have to say, oh, I forgot to say sorry, so now I'm going to hell. Um, in fact, actually, Hamlet, I, it's one of my favorite, I don't like Shakespeare, because I like English. Um, but, <laughs> we don't, anyway, I'm but, but in Hamlet, there's this line where Hamlet's father has been murdered, and, and the man who murdered his father marries his mother, and he goes to kill the guy, and he sneaks into his bedroom, and the guy's praying, you know, earnestly, because he feels guilty, I guess. And, and Hamlet comes up behind him while he's praying with a sword, and he goes to kill him. And he's like, wait a minute, he's praying, so if I kill him now, he'll go to heaven. And he backs out slowly. i got to kill him when he's not praying, so he'll go to hell. What? <laughs> The guy's a murderer, right? Like, and he's not a repentant murderer because he hasn't confessed. He hasn't done all sorts of things. I mean, like, like the idea that you could just not repent and be forgiven, right? Like, like um, the reality is that I'm forgiven because I'm in Christ, not because I'm, I say I'm sorry. I'm sorry because when I'm in Christ, I'm changed. I'm made brand new. That's what the sacrifices, by the way, can never, ever, ever effectively do, right? If I sacrifice an animal, my heart is still going to be wicked. Um, in Christ, I'm made new. And when I'm made new in Christ, I'm also forgiven. And I'm forgiven past, present, future. 
sanctified forever. He doesn't have to be sacrificed over and over and over and over and over again because I'm forgiven once and for all. Right? Um, we move on uh, for all those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. Then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now there, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer an offering for sin. Okay, so the Holy Spirit says to us, he, he preaches to us, he says, listen, in the future, those who are in Christ, I'm going to write my law, right? I'm going to write it on their hearts, and I'm going to put it in their minds. Um, and they ain't ever going to have to be told and they'll be forgiven, period. So they won't even have to say sorry. Or not say sorry, I'm sorry. They won't have to offer sacrifices. Why? Because they're forgiven in Christ. Um, and so in Christ, once for all, we're forgiven. Now, here's the, here's the tricky part. If, um, if the Old Testament sacrifices pointed forward toward Jesus, right? And they acted as a reminder of the sins that they commit, Right? When Jesus comes along, you know, and on the night he's betrayed, right, he's about to he's about to be arrested, he's about to go to the cross, and he's got his twelve disciples sitting around, or eleven, Judas left to go betray him. He's got the eleven disciples sitting around the table, right? And and at the time, what you would do is this is Passover. Passover, I mentioned it in the beginning, I told you it'd come back, there's a test at the end. Passover, um, they would offer this sacrifice to remember God brought us out of slavery. And he brought us, he protected us from death when the angel of death passed over. Like, he protected us from death through the blood of a lamb that we sacrificed then. And so today we continue to sacrifice a lamb. Why? Because it points forward to Jesus, right? And so at Passover, uh, Jesus, who's going to replace the old lamb and be this perfect sacrifice, he takes this ceremony. Now, when you would do Passover dinner, there was a whole ceremony. It was really involved, and, and if you don't speak Hebrew, it was really hard to understand. Um, <laughs> and you would start out, right, there was an order. The first thing you would do is you would take a cup with wine, and the father of the house um, would offer it, and he would talk about the blood of the covenant. And so Jesus, in the presence of his disciples, takes his cup, and he says, this is the blood of the covenant. This is my blood. And I want you to drink it. And I want you to drink my blood any time you need to remember what's going to happen here. Why? Because Jesus' blood was the new sacrifice. And when we take the cup, when we do communion, what is it? It's a big blinking neon light that points back. And the whole thing comes around, right? Because we get neon lights on either side. Remember what Jesus did. Remember the blood. Remember like that he bled for us. And we don't deserve it. Like, we deserve the opposite. Remember what I did for you. And then, so you would do the cup first, and Jesus changes it, and the disciples would be like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. He just changed it. And because they would have done this every year, their entire lives, believe me. I mean, like, every year. And everybody would have it memorized, and you would know all the songs, and you would know when to stand up and sit down and everything else. It was perfect. Um, and, and so you did that, and then you had bitter herbs you were supposed to eat to remember how miserable it was in captivity. And then you would break the bread, and you would share the bread. The father of the house would break the bread again, and 
you would eat it and you would talk about like the escape from from slavery, right? And so Jesus breaks the bread and says, This is my body broken for you. Like this is Jesus' body that's been literally whipped and beaten and nailed to a cross and dead for you to you. He humiliated, he was hung naked in front of you know a hundred people, um, with mocking signs hung over his head and a crown of thorns hanging on his on his, on his head to like, like make fun of who he was. Um, this is my body broken for you. And, and they're remembering, hey, we came out of slavery. Remember? Let's eat the unleavened bread just like they did when they left. Because unleavened bread means bread without yeast. So when they left slavery, they were in such a hurry, they grabbed the bread without letting it rise and they ate it without yeast. Does that make sense? Um, and they're saying, look, remember we came out of slavery. And so when we gather and we do what he did, we break the bread and we say, this is my body. You know, just like Jesus said, this is my body, eat my flesh to remember this. We're remembering that we're freed from slavery. And the slavery of our sin and our past life. And the slavery of the law. Because the law says, if you don't follow me perfectly, you're hosed, right? And now I'm forgiven. Now I can live with Jesus. And it's just like the, the slaves coming out of Egypt, right? And so it's this big flashing neon light that says... Jesus frees us from slavery. Um, and so, like, my application today, normally I try to, you know, every day in your life, and this is something we should remember every day. Jesus died for you. His blood was shed. His body was broken. He deserves everything that we give. And actually, even more. But as we as we do communion today, I'm going to call forward my guys who are doing communion, um, and Kaylin, who's playing guitar for me. Um, as we do communion today, um, I want you to prepare your heart this is something that God lined up from the beginning of time. And he set up big flashing neon signs to predict that it was coming. Um, and he gave up the most precious thing in the world, his own son for us. To forgive you your sins. And so as we prepare today, um, as we pass around the, the, the elements, look in your heart. And ask yourself, what do I need to repent of? What does God need to save me from? You know, when Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you as a sign of the new covenant. Um, what's he saving you from? And bring that to God today as you pray, as you talk to him, as we take the, the elements of communion.
And as we take the bread, um, I want you to ask yourself, what sign do I need beyond literally God himself stepping into the world and dying for me? Um, what sign do I need beyond this blinking, you know, here I am sign that Jesus was? Um, and as you take the elements, I want you to look back and remember, this is something that was for you. This sacrifice, this offering was final and perfect, and it was for your sake. As we, uh, as we finish up, I want to close with, with uh, one final thought and a blessing. Um, the 11 guys who sat there, right? The 11 guys who, who um, received the first communion, who, who received the first like reminder of what Jesus did for us. They went out of there, and um, 10, of them, 10 of them died swearing they saw what they saw. Um, 10 of them lived homeless. Um, they lived running away all the time, afraid of what would happen next. They lived proudly and boldly telling people, this is what I saw. I saw this man Jesus die. I saw him come back to life three days later. And 
I believe that God gave us this sign as a reminder. Like the old way was a reminder of the sin, right? Like this text says. These men were sustained with a reminder of of what Jesus did. And they lived radically different. They were new people. And they were strengthened over and over again. The sign that they wanted was this reminder, right? Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you and you and you and all of us. Um, And so my challenge for you today and and my blessing, actually, if you arise, I'll I'll do the blessing. Um, As you go out of here today, may you live your lives as people who are reminders of the great things that Jesus did. May you live your lives blinking neon signs of the sacrifice that Christ offered for you. May you live your lives as new creations. Amen. Amen.